Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. There are a lot of great blessings that we enjoy in this life, and some of those blessings are material in nature. We have physical blessings. We have blessings that are in the, the setting of our, our immediate families. But in a larger sense of the word, there are, great, there are great blessings associated with being a Christian, with being a child of God, of being a part of God's family, a part of the family that we read about in Scripture. And when you look at the Scriptures, you'll find that God wants all people to be a part of his family. And the idea is that he wants us to be a part of the church, that is, the community of the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed, those who are a part of his blood-bought body. And so in our study today, I want us to look at Acts, the second chapter, as we think about the joy of being a part of God's family. And I really believe that in chapter 2, you have the framework for being a part of God's family and the joy that those who belong to the family of God experience in this setting. And so with that in mind, let me call your attention to three aspects of God's family. First of all, I would submit unto you that there is forgiveness in the family of God. And that is, we enjoy pardon in God's family. Listen, there are a lot of blessings that, that we enjoy in this life, as I said a moment ago. But to know that in Christ and in the church of Christ, I can enjoy forgiveness. Sin is a real problem, whether we realize it or not. There are a lot of people in our world today, they, they view sin as outdated, archaic, old-fashioned. Well, the fact of the matter is, sin is a reality. And Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, there are a couple of things that Peter does in his gospel sermon to those who were assembled on Pentecost Day. There are a couple of things that he does in, in, in order to lay the framework for God's family. And one of the things, I guess first and foremost, he talks about the death of Jesus for sin. And we need to understand and appreciate the fact that Christ has died for sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul said, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Jesus paid the price, the ultimate price, and that's really what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. In verse 22, listen to what he said in the long ago. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved or attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst as ye yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. Now we ask the question, why was Jesus crucified? Well, ultimately he was crucified he was put to death because of sin. And so when Jesus died for sin, we have the redemptive work of God. 
Jesus came to fulfill the will of God. Jesus was involved in redemption. He was all about redemption. And you and I, we enjoy the blessings and the benefits of his redemptive work. God, in the very beginning, decreed that Christ would be the one through whom salvation would be bestowed on the human family. In Revelation chapter 13 at verse 8, the Bible speaks of Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus was involved in what I call redemptive work. You and I, we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 7. Furthermore, we are reconciled in his body. In Ephesians 2 verse 16, Paul said that Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. And so Jesus is the one who made it possible for us to enjoy forgiveness. Now, the apostle Peter on this occasion is speaking to multitudes of people. And these people, they knew about Jesus. They knew they knew about Jesus of Nazareth. Furthermore, they knew that Jesus had been crucified. Many of those people were responsible for his death. And Peter is just validating what they already knew. And so when we talk about the redemptive work of Jesus, that's spelled out. But then also Peter makes the point that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if you look at the body of his lesson, you'll find that on at least three occasions in this lesson, the apostle Peter points out that God raised Jesus from the dead. Why is the resurrection of Christ so important? Well, because Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then you and I, we really don't have any hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, and he said, we're still in sin. But you and I, we enjoy the blessings of forgiveness on the basis of his death and resurrection. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the son, of, the son of God with power according to the resurrection from the dead by the spirit of holiness. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, that literally validated the fact that he was who he claimed to be. He was the son of the living God. And then also in Romans chapter 4 verse 25, Paul said that Jesus was delivered for our offenses, but was raised for our justification. And so the resurrection is important. Down in verse 32, here's what Peter said regarding the resurrected Christ. This Jesus God has raised up. Now listen to what he said. Of which we are all witnesses. Peter and the other apostles, those other men who were present on this occasion, that ultimately received the outpouring of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit, they had been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. They had seen him, they had heard him, they had touched him, and so they believed it with all their heart. And they wanted these people to, to understand that, look, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And so, that's a great thought. So, there is the death of Jesus for sin, and then there is deliverance by Jesus. And 
Look, if you would, at what is said in verses 36 and following. We talk about deliverance by Jesus from sin. In verse 36, Peter said, Therefore, in light of all of these facts, in light of the fact that Christ has died, been buried and raised from the dead, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, verse 37 tells us that those people who were present in the city of Jerusalem on this occasion, they were cut or pricked to the heart. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, that's, that's a logical reaction. The Bible says that this book that we call the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God has the power to penetrate the hearts and lives of people. That's why Paul would say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This book can do what it's intended to do. Isaiah said that God's word will not return to him void. I believe that. And I think that this is illustrated in Acts chapter 2. Here were people, they heard the gospel. The first time the gospel has been preached. They heard it, they believed it, they were cut to the heart. And so they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Listen, had you been there on that occasion and you had come to the conclusion you had been responsible for the death of Jesus or you knew about this Jesus, you knew he had been put to death, you knew he had been raised from the dead, and so now you realize, look, I've got a problem. The problem I have is with sin. And so my question is, what do I need to do? What do we need to do? Well, here's what Peter said. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now that's not my embellishment of what Peter said. That is an exact quotation. That's exactly what Peter said. And so here Peter is saying you need to be baptized into Christ. Let me ask this question. Did these people believe in Jesus? Why, certainly they did. Back in verses 22 and following, Peter points out that they knew Jesus of Nazareth. They knew about the Son of God. And so they already believed. He didn't have to tell them you need to believe in the Son of God. They believed in him. And so what Peter is saying is, look, what you need to do is repent. You need to turn from your old way of life, and then you need to be baptized into Christ. Now, somebody might ask the question, why do I need to be baptized into Christ? Well, listen to what Peter said. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In other words, you need to be, you need to be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven so that they can be washed away. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, when Paul recounted his conversion, he said that Ananias said to him, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so when Saul of Tarsus, Paul as we know him, when he was baptized, his sins were what? They were washed away. They were remitted. They were forgiven. Now verse 41 tells us that those who gladly received his word, that is, who were receptive to the gospel message, 
they were baptized. Why were they baptized? For the remission of their sins. When they were baptized, what happened? Well, when they were baptized, they were then placed in the body of Christ. That is the church of Christ. Look, if you would, at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The saved were where? They were in the church. Well, the church was comprised of whom? The saved. Those who have been baptized into Christ, what happens? Well, number one, they contact the blood of Christ. What is it that washes away our sins? The blood of Jesus. John said, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. If we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ and we become members of the church of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at verse 13, Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the one body? He's the head of the body of the church. So the saved are in the church and the church is comprised of the saved. And the Bible says that Christ is the savior of the body or the church, Ephesians 5, verse 23. So, what about being a part of the family of God? Why is it a great thing to be a part of the family of God? Well, number one, because there is forgiveness in the family of God. Then number two, there is what I would call a foundation in the family of God. And by that I mean there is a pattern. There is a, a, a model, a book, by which our lives are regulated. And that pattern is the apostles' doctrine. Look at verse 42. In verse 42, Luke tells us, and Luke was the inspired historian, here's what Luke says. Here is his commentary on those that had been baptized into Christ, that is, those who were now members of the church. He said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine regulates the life of the body collectively. In other words, when we talk about the collective or the body of Christ, that is the church, collectively speaking, universally, and even locally, what is it that governs our behavior? It's the word of God. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15? But if I tarry long, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, is it not the case that God's word is what regulates the body of Christ, collectively speaking? For example, with regard to our worship. How do we know how to worship God? Well, because the Bible instructs us. Because we have what Luke identifies as the apostles' doctrine. And I think in verse, 40, in verse 42, he speaks of their worship. Listen to what he says in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. I think here you have a couple of acts of worship. Prayer. One of the things that we do when we come together on the first day of the week is we pray to God. Why do we pray to God? Because that's the means by which we communicate unto him. We offer him thanksgiving. We come before his throne. We acknowledge the fact that he is our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. We acknowledge his greatness and we bow in his presence. And then the breaking of bread. I think about the Lord's Supper, the, the fact that you and I have the opportunity every first day of the week 
to, to come together and to commemorate the death of Jesus for sin. The fact that we bring to mind the body that was given on our behalf. Peter said that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ bore our sins in his body. He gave himself as an offering for sin. And then when we partake of the cup, we remember the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood in death. Now the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. You and I, we would be without hope. There would be no basis for our salvation were it not for the blood of Christ. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we bring to memory the blood that was shed on Calvary. You remember in John 19, 34, one of the soldiers pierced the side of Christ and blood came forth. Jesus shed his blood in death. Peter said we've been redeemed not by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then I think about the opportunity that we have to sing praise to God. Ephesians 5, 19, we, we are coming together as, as a corporate body of believers and we are, we are lifting our voices in praise to Jehovah God, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. What a great blessing that is. And then we have the opportunity to listen to the word of God, to study the word of God. As, Peter, as the apostle Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Why do we preach the word? Because that's how people are fed spiritually. We provide people a steady diet of the word of God. And then, as was said a moment ago, we have the privilege of giving of our means every first day of the week. Well, how do we know how to engage in the various acts of worship? The apostles' doctrine. We're doing what they did nearly 2,000 years ago. We are simply following that model. And then the work of the church. If you go back and you look at the early church, one of the things that you have to be impressed with is the fact that these people were involved in God's work. I believe that they took seriously the work of the church. Paul said we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works in Ephesians 2 at verse 10. Paul said that we are to show ourselves as a pattern of good works in Titus 2 at verse 7. That we are to be zealous for good works in Titus 2 at verse 14. And so we, are, we as a, a corporate body of people, we're to be involved in, in evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Well, how do we know that? Because that's what they did in the first century. That's what the apostles' doctrine sets forth. So, you and I, we have the apostles' doctrine which regulates the behavior of the body collectively. But then secondly, it regulates the behavior of the believer individually. This book tells me how to live as a Christian. You remember what the psalmist said in the long ago, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Aren't you grateful that we have the word of God to tell us how to live? Now I think about, I think about in a personal way the benefits and the blessings that I derive in being a Christian, in being a part of the family of God. And the fact that we have a foundation. Let me just give you a couple, of, a couple of examples. The home. One of the great blessings of being a Christian is that 
I'm using this book as a blueprint or a pattern for my home. In, in other words, as a husband, as a father, I'm trying to do what the Bible says. If any, if any sphere needs help in our world today, it's the home. The home is under attack. As one, as one writer said, the home constitutes one of the saddest portraits of our day. As a, as, a, as a father, as a husband, I understand the home needs all the help it can get. And as a husband, as a father, I can turn to the scriptures. I can see how I'm to be as a husband, how I'm, how I'm to treat my wife. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I am to be, I'm, I am to be the leader in the home. I'm to be the spiritual leader in the home. I'm to rear my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think about what the psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, they who labor, labor in vain. I understand that I'm just spinning my wheels if I'm not trying to rear my children in the Lord and build my home on the Lord. If you are a parent, if you are a husband or a wife, you need all the help you can get. I want to be up front. You need all the help you can get. Where are you going to get that help? From this book right here that we call the Bible. We have the Apostles' Doctrine. We have the Word of the Living God that will help us be what God would have us to be. He'll help us be the right kind of father, the right kind of mother, the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife, the right kind of son or daughter, etc. This book will help you get your life on track. If your life is a train wreck right now, I've got good news. The good news is you're still alive and you have time and opportunity to get your life back on track. How do you do that? By following this book. That's just one example of the home. The home today needs all the help it can get. And I can promise you one thing, as a member of the body of Christ, as a member of the family of God, you've got a blueprint right here. This blueprint right here will help you to have a successful home. I'm not saying you're not, you're not going to have problems. I'm not going to say that you're not going to have peaks and valleys and highs and lows and joys and frustrations. But I'm saying this, you've got a model to go by. You've got a blueprint, and you've got the Lord who is working with you on a daily basis, who's at your side. That ought to be encouraging. And then a second thing I think about, and that is you, you have hope. I'm talking about legitimate, viable hope as a believer. When this world comes to a crashing end, guess what? For those of us who are members of the body of Christ, we have a better place coming, don't we? Brother Billy and I were talking yesterday. We had the opportunity to go to Rogers Springs, a little congregation not far from Grand Junction. And we spent the morning over there. And we were talking about, he and I were talking about heaven. And I made the comment, I said, listen, I don't care if I'm in the nosebleed section. I just want to go to heaven. And I mean that. If you and I are living the way we're supposed to live, what do we have? We have the promise of heaven, don't we? We have the hope of heaven. The Bible says that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Titus 1 verse 2. And then thirdly, we talk about the forgiveness that we have in the family of God. And then the fact that we have a foundation. But there's a third thing, and that is the fellowship we have. 
in the family of God. And the fellowship has to do with the people. The church is comprised of people. What is it that makes the church so great? One of the things that makes the church so great, the people. The people who belong to the church. You will make friends. You will, you will become a part of a body of people of like precious faith, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Now, having said that, let me give you a couple of, a couple of traits of this fellowship. Number one, well, let me say this. Within the fellowship, within the context of the church, there is what I would call togetherness. Look at verse 44. All who believed were together. Drop down and look at verse 46. Continuing daily with one accord. That really is a great definition of fellowship. One accord, togetherness. What do we derive out of our fellowship? What are some of the benefits of fellowship in the family of God? Number one, there is what I call the helpfulness of the saints. Look at verse 44 again. All who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So what were they doing? They were sharing. They were caring for one another. Is that not what the Bible teaches? As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them which are of the household of faith. You and I, as members of the body of Christ, we care about one another. There is genuine care and affection among God's people. I can promise you this, in the context of the church, you can develop relationships that will become closer to you than your own biological family. That's just the nature of it. And so because we are part of the of the body of Christ, the family of God, we care about one another. We share with one another. There is the helpfulness of the saints. And then there is a second thing, the happiness of the saints. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Note that word gladness. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Let me tell you what, if you are a child of God, you ought to be a happy person. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, they look at Christianity and they have the idea that we are smug, that, that, that we view the world through pessimistic lens, that it is this woe is me attitude toward life. Not from what I read in the Bible, Paul said in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and Paul was writing from a Roman prison cell. And he said, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. You and I, as God's people, we ought to be happy people. We ought to enjoy being with one another. We ought to, be, we ought to, we ought to enjoy being in the presence of God. I think about coming together for worship. Luke said they were praising God. When we come together, we ought to be uplifted. We ought to leave here uplifted. We, we, ought to be, we ought to be the kind of people who are literally walking on air. 
from the vantage point that we have this deep-seated conviction and happiness that all centers on Christ. And so there is this sense of happiness, this sense of joy. When John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he said, These things I write unto you, that your joy may be full. You and I, we need to have contentment in Christ. We need to have confidence in Christ. And we can conquer all in Christ. We need to believe that. So let me close by asking this question. Are you a part of God's family? If you are not a part of God's family, did you know that this very hour you can be born into the family of God? Jesus said that those who are born into the family of God are born by the water and the spirit in John 3 verse 5. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you're baptized into Christ, you are born into the family of God. You become a child of God. That's what the apostles' doctrine teaches. Every person in the first century who became a child of God, they were baptized into Christ. Baptism was not an outward sign of, of an inward faith. It was for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. When people did that, they became a member of the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. And so... The exhortation, just be faithful till death. The promise being the crown of life. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Listen to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.